You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between exercise and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 women develop fitter minds and bodies in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. Today, we talk to Jason Keane about his running journey. Jason shares many running tips with us in this episode, including how to run fast while training slow. Enjoy. Well, today we are very lucky to have a new friend of mine. Again, I've never met this guest. Um, however, here's a referral from a new friend of mine from a few episodes ago from Vanessa Cullen. This is Jason Keane, who is Vanessa's partner, who's been good enough to come on and join us on Fit Mind, Fit Body. So welcome, Jason. Thank you, Michelle. It really is a pleasure to have you here. And it's been a great way for me to make new friends. <laughs> and we all yeah. have this thing in common, this running thing. So it's even more fun for me. So let's yeah, it means, get... we're, it means we're instant friends. So that's good. Exactly. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we have this thing in common that we can chat about. Um, so to get started, Jason, just can you give us a bit of background about you? You can go back as far as you like, but just, yeah, let us know who you are. Uh, so I'm 51. So maybe a touch older than you, Michelle. You're actually uh, you're actually younger than me. Oh, am I? I'm, I'm nearly fifty-two. I am fifty-two already, so I beat you. Oh, okay, okay. You look younger than fifty-two. Uh, Good but, camera. Uh, yes. So, uh, and I've got two children, two boys mm -hmm. who were eleven and thirteen, going on to twelve and fourteen, mm -hmm. and who were pretty into sport. And I am a solicitor in Sydney, and I also do some teaching at the College of Law in Sydney, which is the practical legal training for people who are looking to become lawyers, lawyers. get admitted as lawyers, so mm -hmm. for practical legal training. So uh, I've got a, a mix of doing those things. So I am, I've been able to work remotely a lot in the last 18 months or so. So, so what kind uh, of law do you do, just out of interest? Just uh, so... Pretty general, but uh, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, more sort of property and commercial yep. work. But I had a sort of back, back, background in litigation, doing civil litigation and yep. criminal law. Uh, although you, often you scratch a property and commercial litigation, uh, probably in commercial law, and you find that there's a, a litigator behind them who got, got, got burnt out or yeah. found, found, found the work fairly stressful. So, uh, I They've, they've reorientated themselves. So, so that's the way life careers go. You live in Sydney. Mm. Yep. And have you always lived there? Is that the Yes. Yep. Yes. So I've lived in, lived in different parts of Sydney. So I've got a good sort of view of all the, a few of the different parts of Sydney, but it's a big city. But in a lot of ways, it's good for a runner to live in different parts of um, Sydney because you get to, focus on one area of, of Sydney and you also make some contacts in in those areas and you know all the good places to run and ride bikes and all that sort of thing so, uh, so it's good from that point of view. I always found Sydney to be quite a lovely place to run just because there's so many options for trail running because I quite like trail running so mm. you know being able to run you've got so much um, forested sort of 
bush areas in Sydney, even in the urban areas. Yeah, they haven't really sort of built much around the creeks and that sort of thing. So you get a lot of mm. uh, waterways and so on. We've got a lot of running trails and areas of bush and that sort of thing. Mm. So if you want to be a trail runner, you're in good shape pretty much wherever you live. And you can certainly go up to the Blue Mountains and have a good time up there. As well, yeah. So um, tell me, when did you start running? Have you always run or is it just... Uh, yeah, I was sort of trying to reflect back on on running. So... I ran a bit at, at, at school, but sort of looking back at it, I think I was quite I was quite a good runner without really getting much encouragement to do much more. I was thinking when I was about 10 or so, I was playing cricket in summer and then I said to my dad, I want to do a little athletics this, this year. I think the first race I did was 200 metres and I ran it in about 28 seconds or something and Wow. Um, and, and did pretty well, and I thought, oh, that was that was pretty easy. But I think it was one of those things that I just found very easy to do, and um, could get could get pretty good results. Um, but it, in hindsight, if someone said, oh, come and come and do some training, and um, maybe maybe develop it, because I think the thing is, I really did want to do it, uh, but I was doing other sports, and no one really sort of pulled me along too much. But in the last year, two years of high school, we had a training group at school. So, so did that. And um, it was, it was a pretty, pretty good level. But I remember being probably 15, 16 years old and running at 800 meters in without sort of any real training and running at sort of just over two minutes or something. And, awesome. and on, on a grass, pretty fast grass track. And I thought, Oh, that was pretty good. But no one really sort of said, <laughs> you know, maybe you should do some proper training or, um, or, or whatever. But I've got a bit more of an idea about what sort of training's uh, involved. And then, but then after school, I did uh, a bit of, sort of dabbled in a bit of triathlon. And from about the age of 20, 21, I did quite a bit of cycling for about a good three or four years and got very yeah. absorbed in that. So, so, so why were you, just out of interest, what made you, because there's a point, I think, especially for women, but I think also for men, if they're not like identified as being really good at a sport or sporty, they just don't do that going into their 20s. They sort of that older teenagers, 20s, they become more social and mm. I don't know, and, and or maybe focus more on university um, and whatever their future is going to be. Um, and I'm always interested to those of us who choose an athletic path or something in those days as well, even especially if, mm. you know, as you said, even though you identified as some talent, it wasn't identified and explored mm. when you were younger. So this is a, something that you chose. It's not like something. Yeah. Are these things from outside? Yeah. I think our generation was a bit different. It was, you probably really had to have a parent or something that was really into it and, and, and could, could drive it uh, in order to really get involved the, the, the sort of pathways or avenues weren't weren't as clear cut. I, I remember back in Sydney, even in Sydney, there was only really one or two synthetic running tracks, um, sort of in the, the the mid to late 80s. It was only when the Olympics came along that they started yeah. to lay more synthetic running tracks. So, I think we're of a generation that it you were sort of pretty much left to your own devices about what you wanted to do, and it's only if you really fell into a group that really sort of encouraged each other and, and facilitated it. So I probably fell into sort of a cycling group 
yeah. uh, at uni and, and, and we, we really got into it um, from that point of view. So, but yeah, running was kind of not, uh, not really encouraged, but I used to do a bit of, a bit of running. If it was really wet and I didn't really want to get on my stationary trainer that morning, I might go out for a 10 K run or something. So yeah. um, often, often cyclists will use it a bit in the off season and so on yeah. a bit of running and that, but running was always something I could do and, and found it and found it quite easy. And I just thought that everybody else found it pretty easy as well, but um, I don't know if that's quite the, quite the case. And I guess on the flip side, there's also other people who uh, were were really sort of encouraged and pushed and then they got to sort of 18 or 19 and it was really looking to take the next level and they went, well, now I'm going to uni or I'm working. Um, I'd probably rather stay up, stay up drinking beer and eating pizza and, <laughs> uh, and that sort of stuff. So it can sort of go the other way mm. as well for people who, certainly there were people I knew at school who were very, very, very talented and mm. you never see them never see them again. And the people now you see at the elite level, they're not necessarily the people that were the really top runners. And they often say, no, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't a top runner. There was lots of people better than me, but they fell by the wayside and I kept going. Yeah. For different other reasons, obviously. And they could, you know, they're many and varied, I suppose, those reasons. Mm. I know my husband was um, an elite rower and he mm. even gave up a, a year of uni just to, um, mm. to further that. So as, as you were saying, you know, the, the deci- those decisions are kind of pivotal, I guess, along the way for for mm. people who do show some some talent. Um, yeah, and a lot of people will come back. You know that that period in the early early up to sort of mid twenties, they leave it leave it aside, and then they come back. And there's you know quite a few Olympians like Ben St Lawrence and yeah. these sort of people who 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 did that. So, um, but that's more of a you know looking at more of a performance based. Mm-hmm. Uh, performance-based thing. So, uh, yeah, I guess after that, so yeah, I did, did quite a lot of cycling and it was probably an era of cycling that was quite sort of interesting in terms of uh, we got a, the races had a lot of flexibility in terms of using the open roads. Yeah. Uh, but I think by the mid-90s, the police had sort of cracked down a bit um, after there was a few accidents and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, lost lost a bit of interest in cycling and then, uh, from sort of the mid '90s to mid two mid mid two thousand two thousand and five, I really threw myself into my career. Yeah, and uh, I still did a bit of cycling and did a little bit of running in the mornings. So probably most mornings, uh, particularly on the weekend, I was out doing some exercise. Mm-hmm. but wasn't really doing any racing or anything like that. It was just mm-hmm. getting out there just to give some structure to the day. And it might be just a three or four run to work as a commute and a three or four K run home as a commute, yeah. just, just so that I got that exercise. So I wasn't just sitting at a desk yeah. for 12 hours. Or So um, that was obviously important to you. Cause I mean, that's, you know, we, you would have seen people sitting around you in the office or wherever, mm-hmm. what your work environment looked like, who didn't think it was important that they did some form of exercise each day. So yeah. there was obviously something ticking over in your mind that said, yeah, this is something I want to make sure is still in my life because I know I'm yeah, quite sed- I, sedentary otherwise. Or I think I've just got something in my physiology or, mm-hmm. and I think probably we, we all do, is just having that sort of half an hour to an hour of activity every day, uh, usually usually early in the day, and it just means that we can function because I, I can't really function unless I do it. <laughs> 
Um, there is actually, you probably are aware, but science now around, like they've done research only in the last sort of decade or so, which says exactly that, that mm-hmm. um, the going for a run or doing some form of exercise before we need to do something that's mentally taxing, like a lot of your work would probably be, um, mm-hmm. is beneficial because it opens up the pathways between our the hemispheres of our brain actually mm. physically does things at, not to mention there are other kind of chemicals and things which wake us up and and do cool things which make yeah. life after that for the rest of the day much easier hmm. yeah I, I remember one incident when i was at sort of a funny thing but when i was at school i, I was doing a bit of training for athletics mm-hmm. and i just ran up about four flights of stairs at full pace and i got to the top of the stairs i was carrying a bag or something and I wasn't breathing at all. And I just went, it sort of really turned my head and went, this is the sort of person I'd like to be. <laughs> this, is, this, this, this is good. So it's, it's, I think it's always been a bit of, okay, I've got away with that. I've got a, away from that at certain times, but that's the sort of person I would like, I would like to be, just to, just to be able to do something like that and feel like I'm in control and that it's, it's, it's manageable. I think I've, um, when I've had those, you know, um, moments running where you feel like you could run forever at that pace mm. or whatever, and you're mm. surrounded, you know, no matter where you are, but you you get that kind of euphoria feeling. But it is, um, I think it, it gives you a sense of if I can do this myself without being, even for me, on a bike or or in a car or a plane or any other, I can travel these distances with my own two feet mm. and I feel good and the euphoria thing happens sometimes, then there isn't anything I can't do. So there's a kind of an empowerment kind of feeling mm. to it. And yeah. why would you not want that, like that sense of control in your life that you, you're you feeling healthy, your body's obviously working, all of those kind of things. I, I guess that's the kind of stuff you're tapping into a little bit. Yeah, and you can get that. You can get that certainly get that fairly easily from running. You can get it from cycling and mm. probably swimming as well. But I think pretty much every day I have that little five seconds of euphoria. Yeah. So it might be just That's running awesome. through a grove of trees or something, and you just have this little moment of euphoria. And I think, wow, yeah. that's 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 a gift that I've been given today. And I get that's that awesome. most. I get that most days. It's just that uplifting feeling, and it's 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 probably just the endorphins just yeah. kicked in for a little moment, but it is that little feeling of euphoria and you, and, and, and you feel good and you can, you can keep on, keep grasping onto that for the yeah. rest of the day. Uh, so. You know, any feeling that we're having are just chemical things going off anyway. So whether it's endorphins right. or it's something else, we, this has got a name. So it, it's a good, it's great. Um, and even to be able to recognize that those moments of really mindfulness in many ways, because as you said, you recognize that you're in a, great environment or whatever and that your body's moving you know freely through uh, through the environment and you it gives yeah. you that little up it's yeah that's <laughs> it's all, that's, I, I, I was reflecting out this morning that's all we are just these little chemical reactions going off in our brains like telling us how we feel and that's I, I mean I guess that's a good thing but it's also a bit of a depressing thing because that's, that's, we're, we're not we're not changing the universe or anything by by our existence particularly or anything but it's just it's just if we feel good, well, we feel good. So yeah. if that's if that's all there is, well, feel good. That's right. Well, and often if you feel good, you'll do things 
which will make other people feel good, even if you don't mean to, just because, you know, and you, your work will be more satisfactory you know, or satisfying. Well, there's lots of, lots of, I think, positives can come out of feeling good as well, rather than just our feeling good. All these yeah. things off this has knock-on effects, I reckon. Um, yeah. Well, your relationships will be better. Yeah. You'll be able to work more efficiently. You'll relate to people better. You'll probably do better things in the world and all that sort of stuff. And also you become a part of the community of of runners um, and I've found them all to be pretty much positive people and uh, people that will do kind things for each other and uh, that sort of stuff. So that's, that's a good, that's a good environment to be in. Yeah. It's all those endorphins going off in our heads, <laughs> making us positive people. Yeah. Uh, so in that, it brings me to a question I often ask, which is what kind of things do you think about when you're running or do you have anything you know, without being super specific, but. Uh, I kind of just let my mind go to where it wants to go. So a lot of, so if I'm running along and it was the same with cycling, although cycling's harder because you've got to concentrate a bit on not getting hit by cars and <laughs> um, totally. all that sort of stuff. So, but running is good from that point of view of you put your shoes on and you go out the door and you, you start walking so you can warm up warm up a bit more easily and then you sort of go into a slow jog and, and so on. So a thought comes into your mind, you deal with that thought, you process it and then another thought comes into your mind and you process that and, and that's, I guess that's, that's a practice of mindfulness really. Mm. And you just let those thoughts come into your mind. Often if, often with running, I'll usually try to, register for a race or maybe do park run that that weekend so mm -hmm. i will think a bit about the race and what i've got to do to prepare for it and what you know whether the training is sort of targeted towards that and other things in life so that gives me a bit of framework for it and gives me and and means that i've got a little bit of drive um, for doing it so that the run's not too not too aimless but sometimes you just go on a run that's pretty that's pretty aimless and you you yeah. go where your mind tells you to go or your, your legs tell you to go um you often end up being hopelessly lost but yeah. <laughs> can always you've got your phone with you possibly oh do you that's a good question do you have your phone with you i i do but mainly because my partner tells me that it's a good idea to take my phone with me and uh keep you um, safe and 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 sometimes uh, you'll get a message or something like that, and I guess you should be sort of ignoring your phone. I also um, lately in the last year or so, probably because of COVID and that sort of stuff, I've I do listen to a lot of running podcasts. I was going to um, ask you about that. And there are a lot of good running podcasts out there, and often it's just two or three people chatting about their running week and issues to do with running and that sort of stuff. So you, you, you can sort of listen to that. So I probably listen to, to probably listen to podcasts a bit too much and probably should have more runs where I'm just, uh, I'm just um, letting my mind do its thing. Um, but then again, I do a bit of running with other people. So then it's yeah. a bit of, bit of, bit of chatting to them. So it's a bit, it's a bit like being in a podcast, listening yeah. to a podcast, just, um, when you're running, when you're running with other people, but I probably do a good 70, 80% of running just by myself. Okay. And so how often a week would you run just on average? Or does it uh, depend what I, you're running for? 
I run every day. So I was just looking back at Strava just beforehand and a week before Christmas, I ran every day except for, except for two days. Wow. So, uh, so it's just pretty much a daily, a daily habit. And I think it gets a bit bit back to that. Um, I I, I think your lymph system, where I've read about the lymph system and so on, it needs to be, it needs to be flushed out every day. So it might be that a a run is only 10 or 12 Ks. It might be that a run is 30, 35 Ks, but it just, it just, it just flushes that out. So that was a question I was going to ask, how far are you running in these regularly? But I, I mean, I assume it depends what you're training for. As we know, you have just been training for the Gold Coast Marathon. Maybe when yeah. this episode comes out, probably in about uh, maybe eight weeks, that will have already happened. Yep. But as, um, so tell us a little bit about that. So you, as I said, you've been training for that for the last 26 weeks, I think you said. Yeah. So that's not really a usual training block for a marathon. It's usually sort of 12 to 16 yep. weeks. But the end of, well, sort of about mid-October, I hurt my Achilles a bit in a track race, which mm-hmm. doing track races when you're over 50 is a bit like playing Russian roulette. It's prone. <laughs> uh, so you've got, you, you forget that you're not, you've probably got to do some pretty specific yeah. conditioning to be able to run in spikes. It's that explosive that stuff. stuff as well, isn't it? That can, Yeah. Yeah. Well. And it was, it, and often it's, you know, you're in a race of a 1,500-metre race or a 3,000-metre race and you're running against 16-year-olds yeah. and they take off like cut cats and you go with them and then you go, oh, my calf feels a bit funny or my Achilles feels a bit funny. So uh, so um, you can get a bit caught out. But a, lot, a bit of that was a bit of frustration with COVID and when they, mm. when, when, when they started racing again in the summer, it was really just the track racing and the shorter distances. So I decided I was going to do that, but that was probably a little bit ill-advised. Anyway, so I hurt my Achilles quite badly. And so I decided I wasn't going to run for two months, about well, sort of six to eight weeks. So yeah. I just got out every morning and did two or three hours on the bike. Um, and I, my, my oldest son plays a lot of tennis. So I played tennis a couple of times a week with yeah. him as well so I wasn't testing it completely but I just thought I'd do some cycling and because I've always found cycling quite fun and cycling is quite fun for adults because you can fly around the streets at 30 40 50 kilometers an hour um, and hope you don't get hit by a car but I live the M7 bike path so that's a car free um, area so there's there's little risk even though there's about a kilometer to get to the bike path and I've had a few incidents on that little kilometer or so to get to the bike path um which is interesting but yeah i did that for two months and then about a week before christmas uh i got i got back into the i got back into the running Mm -hmm. but for the first week or two it was quite it was quite hard yeah i what part of it did you find the hardest always interested when you i probably got a bit of an insight into people who have just started running or have had a big layoff after running and i was sort of getting these things of like this might my legs hurt and I don't feel that good. And was it always like this? This is how it always felt. Yeah. And maybe it always was this hard and I've forgotten and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But as, as a sort of week or two went by, it got a bit easier and I was 
finishing the runs in better shape and that sort of stuff. So, uh, so a lot of it's just persevering through that initial stage. That uncomfortableness. Mm. But it also made me reflect a bit about people who have just started running as well. So mm -hmm. it might be a different experience because they're just starting. But I often find with people who are starting running will really push themselves way, 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 way too hard. Mm -hmm. And it's running is really a game of patience and consistency. Yeah. So consistency in, in trying to do it every day you don't need to do it every day, but if you can get in the habit of doing it every day and habits take a while to develop. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it once or twice a week, I think you should be fine with that. And it might develop into three or four times a week yeah. and it might develop into five or six times a week, but just be patient because it's a, it's a habit. Yeah. And you've just got to be, you've just got to develop that, that habit. So then once you get that, that consistency and I, when I run, I don't run faster than, I don't ever train faster than sort of four and a half minute kilometer pace. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll run, I'll run, uh, for instance, this year I, I started training week before Christmas. Yeah. Didn't do any racing at all. Didn't run faster than four and a half minute pace. And I just gradually built it up. So I, I run with a heart rate monitor mm -hmm. and I don't let my heart rate go over 134 beats a minute. Yeah. So if I'm, so for instance, when I started training, it's, that was sort of like 530 mm -hmm. pace or something like that. And then every, every week that goes by, you get a bit faster at, at, you know, at that heart rate. Heart rate. Mm -hmm. So running's great for that from that perspective in that you can see the improvement of you developing your aerobic capacity mm -hmm. at that heart rate. So every day that goes by, you say, you can see on the data, I'm getting a bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you keep, and then, and then keep, keep going. Um, and I did the Canberra half marathon in the beginning of April Mm -hmm. I hadn't run faster than four minute, 30 kilometer pace that whole, that whole time. And then I did the Canberra half marathon at faster than three thirty pace. Wow. And it felt, it felt, felt good. Pretty, felt good. Pretty, mm -hmm. felt pretty easy. So um, a lot of people go, I've got to do all these intervals and mm -hmm. I've got to do these 400 meter intervals and I've got to do my fartleks and, all that sort of stuff and, and, and the, the, the running group they're in, they do all that sort of hard training and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But, um, and there's a, people have that attitude of no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. And that's a big mistake. That's probably the worst mistake you can make. Leading, uh, leading to injury, you think? Yeah. yeah. So it's really, it's developing that aerobic capacity. I, I remember when, this was in about 1991 or 1992, I used to live in Darlinghurst in Sydney mm -hmm. and there was a, a ride that went every morning. I went from the Kaluzzi coffee shop. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist anymore, but Kaluzzi was an old Italian guy. He was a cyclist and he was an ex-boxer and sort of stuff. Anyway, there was probably 40 or 50 amateur cyclists who met every morning and they would go out and do 60 to 80 kilometre ride um, out towards 
they sort of headed down south from the eastern suburbs mm. and back again. And the whole ride was really uh, trying to ride as hard as you can and mm. try to smash everybody else. And one more, I'd usually do that ride. And one morning I turned up late. I was probably five minutes late. There was three guys sitting there having a coffee and I recognised them because they were all professional cyclists. I think at least two of them had done the Tour de France that year. Wow. So they were top riders. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I've missed the bunch. And they said, I'll sit down and have a coffee. So I had a coffee and then they said, um, we'll come and, you know, so can I ride with you guys? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, so we rolled off at 20, 25 kilometres an hour. After an hour, we were still riding at 20, 25 kilometres an hour. And I said, um, um, This is not this, very quick. <laughs> this is fast as we're going to go. And they said, Yep. And I said, well, Why are you going? Why are you going at this speed? And they said, This is the speed we train. Wow. And I said, Well, you guys, you know, you, you three are the you know, top 100 riders in the world and you train like this. And they said, yep, this is how you develop your engine. Wow. And we did a five-hour ride and we probably averaged about 23 kilometres an hour or something like that. Amazing. And we got back and that was, this, that was their normal ride at that time of year. So it, um, and since then I've, I've sort of read quite a bit of it. There's, there's a running coach that's quite famous called Arthur Lydiad, mm -hmm. who is a New Zealander. And um, he sort of came to prominence in the 1960 Olympic Games. And within half an hour, two of his athletes had won the 800 metres and the 5,000 metres. Wow. Now on the same day. So they won the 800 metres. And um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the 5,000 metre runner. It was a guy who, um, he actually had a sort of a withered arm. Um, Murray, Murray, um, oh, Murray, I can't remember his last name. And um, they won. And then a couple of days later, one of his athletes finished third in the marathon at the Olympics. So the whole world went, who is this guy? What's, what's he doing? In New Zealand. Where, firstly, where is New Zealand? <laughs> and who is this guy? And how does he train his athletes? Mm. So um, a lot of overseas coaches travelled to New Zealand to find out what he was doing. And so all he was doing was um, training his athletes just to, just to train slowly mm -hmm. and just to build things up very gradually. Um, his philosophy was train, don't strain. Yeah. And own, the only sort of his idea was, look, from 800 metres up to the marathon, 99% of what you're using is your aerobic capacity. Mm -hmm. And all these athletes that are training their anaerobic capacity, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Because you will get faster just by being consistent and persisting with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So... I've sort of, yeah, I've pretty much always taken that philosophy, just just train, don't strain. And you should you should be coming, even if you're doing a two or three hour run, you should be coming home and going, I could go and do that again. Wow. And if you can't put your hand on your heart and say, I could go and do that again, <laughs> then, then you've trained too hard. So I'm trying to think of a time where I could have said that if it was. 
I don't know. I reckon, especially if it's two or three hours, I'm thinking I would probably be thinking, oh, I'm glad that's over. Now I can go and get my coffee in. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to ask myself again that on Sunday. Yeah, but if you've, yeah. If you've done that, uh, and that's a, that's, that's a test that um, another trainer, another uh, trainer called Phil Maffetoni, Ah yes, yeah, um, take. so so they they've all sort of come off the Maffetoni. Uh, the Maffetoni method is really the, mm -hmm. the the grandfather of that is really Arthur Lydiad, and he's carried it through oh, to, to 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 Maffetoni, um, and he he developed more of the heart rate um, training. So yeah. his idea was your 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 uh, biological feedback is the best way to do it is that through a heart rate monitor. Yeah. So your heart will tell you how how much you're you're pushing. Uh, so don't let your heart rate get over a certain. Yeah, and everyone's just individual based on their age and their fitness level currently. Yes. Well, his his formula, and it's sort of a it 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 seems like a fairly universal formula, but he did a lot of testing and he found that this formula was pretty much pretty much applied to everybody. Oh. So his formula is. Um, the old, well, the, the sort of traditional formal formula was two, 220 minus your age. Yeah. Um, and then that will tell you, you know, your different zones yeah. and then your aerobic training is in that sort of zone too. So Maffet, what Maffetoni, he developed that further um, just through testing and said it's 180 mm -hmm. minus your age and then there is some um, modifications to that. Yeah. So... If it's so, if you're 50 years old, 180 minus your age, so you get 130. Mm -hmm. If you've been training for a number of years and haven't really had injuries and haven't been hospitalized and had operations and all that sort of thing, then you can add extra five beats a minute. Okay. If you haven't, if you're just sort of starting out and you've had a lot of operations and that sort of stuff, take five beats off. Okay. So then we get down to one twenty-five. So there's a bit of there's a there's a bit of change depending mm. on how experienced you are and that sort of thing. So um, so he Maffetoni was quite well known because he trained an Ironman triathlete called Mark Allen. Yeah. And Mark Allen won I don't know eight or nine Hawaii Ironmans. I remember him. <laughs> yeah. So he went and saw Dr. Maffetoni and and said, I'm getting all these injuries. I can't win the Hawaii Ironman. It, it, just things always go wrong, and mm -hmm. I really want to succeed and do this. And Maffetoni said, "Okay, you've got to take a year off, and you've got to develop your aerobic capacity because you haven't properly developed it." He said all the training you're doing is putting huge pressure on your hormones mm -hmm. and your, your 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 system, and so uh, so you've got to go back and develop your aerobic capacity. And he said, I can't really do that because I've got all these sponsors and I'm relying yeah. on this prize money and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And he said, that's fine. You'll go off and have another one or two years where you'll continue to get injured. You might get the odd minor result, um, that sort of stuff. You'll stuff up your Hawaii Ironman this year and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. That's fine. You can go and do that. But if you take this year off, you're going to have another 10 years in the sport where you're going to dominate the sport. Wow. And so he went and did that. He just went off and um, I think, don't think he, I don't think he, his heart rate went over. He was younger then. He yeah. got over 150 beats a minute. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he said he was out cycling with, you know, his mates and they would just take off on a hill and he would just plot up the hill or he would be running along and they would go up a hill and his heart rate would start to go up. So he, he was actually walking up the hill yep. because he, because his heart rate would go up. So mm-hmm. he had a, he had a guy who was the, one of the fittest men in the world, supposedly, who's walking up the hills in training. And then after six months or so, he was um, flying in training mm. at that low heart rate. He did the Hawaii Ironman. Heart rate didn't really go over 150 beats a minute. And he, wow. won, it easy, he won it easily. And then he won another eight or nine Ironman. So it's that patience, but huh? It's patience. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's, that's the one thing that, I mean, you asked me what the what the one important thing for someone starting off on this, and it's yeah. just patience. Yeah. So anyone and, you know wishing to start running or coming back from running, like we said before. Yeah. Patience, you reckon? Just just patience, mm-hmm. and it might take a few months, but it's going to be really worth it. And if you're not patient, you'll pay a big price <laughs> because you'll get injured. Your um, your hormone balance will go out. Yeah. Um, and um, um, you know, you'll get, um, you know, food cravings and all the rest of it. And it's, it's not going to be a good experience. And the problem is we live in the Western world where all the messages are, you've got to push yourself. You've got to do more. You're not trying hard enough. Um, you're, you're not good enough. You know, keep pushing, keep pushing, get up earlier, do more, do more, do more. Whereas, you've got to take the completely opposite um, attitude and say, no, I'm just going to listen to my body and I'm going to take it easy. If, ever, if other people want to take off and do things, well, good, good luck to them. Is and I like, do a lot. Of, mm. I, was, I was just going to say, is it do less so that you can do it longer, perhaps? It's, it's just That's a mindset thing. It's just take it easy. And, and, and do what you can do with what you've got at the time. Mm. Because no one who's just starting out or has had a big break can go and train like an Olympic athlete. No. And, and you see those training schedules. Those training schedules, are, that's three weeks before an Olympics. That's what you're looking at. And so they've done six months of base training so that they can be fit enough to do those sessions. Or, and potentially 10 years before that. They've also been yeah. building up a, uh, a base as well, haven't they? Not even just that last six months. It's a, a lifetime thing to get to an Olympics. Oh, you broke oh, up. Sorry. You I, did, you I did lose you. You just froze a little bit there. So I, just, <laughs> I might have a few too many windows open, so I'll just make sure. I, <laughs> That's all right. I, I, close, I close a few things. So. The wonders of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess further to that, uh, I've been reading a bit about Ethiopian runners and Kenyan runners and that sort of stuff. I mean, the Kenyan runners will go off into a camp for months at a time and train. And they will um, lead a very simple life. So they'll just yeah. have, you know, a single bed there. They'll share the chores, cooking meals, cleaning their, cleaning each other's shoes, all that sort of stuff. And that's everyone. That's, that's Elliot Kipchoge and people yeah. who can run a 203 marathon and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. They're all in that camp and that's all they're doing. Yeah. They're just training easy. They're resting. They're sleeping. They're being, they're being as lazy as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's not, we can't do that because we've got, we've got other things on in life, but, um, but you do have to sort of think about, you know, don't, don't, don't be, feel guilty about being lazy or, um, or, or doing things easy. It's just a matter of being persistent and consistent. Mm. And even the Ethiopian runners, I've been reading about them and they'll, be, they'll, they'll go out and do runs. These are people who can run a 203 marathon. They go and run at eight or nine minute kilometers. Wow. And, and they're getting passed by women who are, uh, you know, going collecting firewood in the forest. I was going to say off getting the water in the. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they don't care. Hmm. And they'll have, they'll go out for an hour and they'll just do drills together. Yeah. And that'll be their training for the day. It's probably like that, you know, dropping the ego thing. Um, yeah. Which, which is, again, another mindset thing. We were talking a little bit about it before, but that, um, I don't know, I run faster when there's some people just near, <laughs> I'm about to run past somebody. I find I, I um, you know, put my shoulders back and, and I'm running a little bit better. But a lot of that's ego driven. I'm not, I probably should always be running like that, my form and mm. things. Um, yeah. But as you were saying with uh, the Ethiopians, they, obviously don't have the ego the same as we do perhaps or many of us um, seem to and that can cause you know even um it's it takes a strength to train differently than the people you're around there is a strength that's required to yeah. do that you know even yeah. like you were talking about uh, mark allen mm. and having to walk because he's changing his training methods and using mm. the heart rate method instead and that would have taken quite a bit of you know, yeah. mental strength in order to do that and not break into a run up the hill for sure. Yeah. He had to check his ego at the door and exactly. And and you know, walk up walk up the hill. I mean, how hard would that be for someone who's su supposedly one of the fittest people in the world and you've got amateur athletes running away from him and he just walks up a hill. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so you you've got to do it. But yeah, don't don't get in sort of a a competition when mm. you, you don't you don't need to do it mm. uh and, so just and, uh, on cyclists um uh richie port grew up just yeah. down the road and when he oh, yeah. comes home he cycles uh just near my place and um my husband has occasionally tried to take in him on with his mountain bike on mm. <laughs> up a very steep hill yeah. Um, and Richie kind of just laughs at him, um, but lets him kind of hang off the end until they get done. <laughs> yeah. It's quite, quite, quite funny. Um, he's, like, he's probably going on a 300 kilometer ride at the time. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's quite uh, funny. So, so, so they're, they're, they're really doing that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, if, if you're starting out, just appreciate that you're just starting the journey and that, um, you know, when you start, just walk, walk for three kilometers and come home. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, and enjoy that. I mean, my father's 88 years old. He goes for a 10 kilometer walk every morning. Oh, that's amazing. And, and that's good for his fitness, but he's not going to start running or anything. So has he always been um, physical, your dad, just out of interest? Uh, he was in his sort of younger days. He's a New Zealander and he was, he was in the New Zealand hockey squad in the like, sort of early 1950s and mm -hmm. um, he's very good at ball sports. He was a very good yeah. squash player and cricketer and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. 
Um, but he used to run as well as, mm-hmm. as part of the fitness uh, for those sports. But then he hit probably early to mid forties and he just, he wasn't playing hockey anymore or squash and he just stopped and he stopped until he was 65 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't do any activity whatsoever really. And then when he was about 65, I think he realized that he better get back onto it. So that's, that's the problem. If you, if you're a competitive person and you see sport as an outlet for your competitiveness mm-hmm. and then you stop playing sport because, um, you, you don't feel competitive enough, then that's, you know, that, mm. that's a big mistake. But, I, but we, we talk about running and I've, I've played tennis against guys in their late 60s mm. who would beat pretty much any 20-year-old tennis yeah. player. I've got play. a friend in his 60s who's a very good tennis player as well. These guys are phenomenal. I mean, they're, 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 they're so fit and they play uh, near where I used to live. There's three or four guys every morning. There was a free tennis court there that the council had. They'd play tennis from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the morning yeah. um, every single day. Mm. So, um, um, you know, we talk about running, but there's nothing wrong with chasing a tennis ball around the court as well. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess you get the extra social element because you can't really play tennis by yourself very easily. Yeah. And there's a, <laughs> and there's a, point, and there's a point to it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I kind of... You're hitting the ball on the other side of the net, so you've got to run to get the ball. So I don't want to, I don't want to leave everyone hanging, but tell me what did happen with your training heading towards the Gold Coast Marathon, which is like uh, a week or so. Yeah, so I uh, I did a few sort of little races leading up. So I did the Canberra Half Marathon, and I did this did the New South Wales 10K Championships, mm-hmm. uh, and I did a I did a three hour track race a few weeks ago just as a Sort of a training, a training thing. Is that the and thing where you go round and round for two hours, or maybe I don't. Maybe, did you turn around though? Did you? Yeah, we at, at, at what point? Well, it was it it was the event was uh, the Southern Sydney um, twenty four hour mm-hmm. track race. So there was people who started at ten o'clock the morning before, um, and then they would do different races while they were while they were doing it. So. I think at nine o'clock at night, they started a marathon on the Saturday and they had a 12 hour race and a six hour race. So we got there at six o'clock on the Sunday morning. And so we ran from six till nine. Yeah. Uh, so I think every four hours, I think they changed direction. Probably so they don't end up with one leg longer than the other. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been a race, a, a lap ticker and in a team oh, yeah. for the six hours where we just did two hours each or something. Anyway. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, for, for our race, they, they changed after two hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which was good. But I don't know. I, I just, yeah, just chatting to a few, a few guys that I knew and um, um, for most of the race and then with about oh, 40 minutes to go, I... Um, I sort of took off because I wanted to run at sort of my marathon pace and mm-hmm. see what like that that was like to run at the end of a, a three hours. So mm-hmm. um, so it was a good session because I ended up running a little bit more than marathon distance. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so um, so and then it was you know it was faster at the end. So that was that was a, a good exercise. But mm-hmm. uh, that was um, uh, it, it, so you tell that to trail runners and that sort of stuff, and they think I can't think of anything worse. But, <laughs> It was quite fun watching the sun come up. And the, and the thing was, we were in lanes three and four and the 24-hour races were in lanes one and two. 
and they're doing it pretty tough at the end of the 24 hours. And so you feel pretty good because you see someone who's, or a group of people who are really suffering. Yeah. And you say, I'm just doing a three hour race. They're doing a 24 hour race. Life is good. (laughs) It's quite a different, what was interesting for me, um, I I did it twice. I helped out Mm. there twice. And every time you, they went around, so every 400 meters, they had the opportunity to go to the toilet or go into the, yeah. you know, sit down and have some snacks or whatever. Just quite different from, you know, when we go, if you go out and do a marathon, or I suppose they have toilets there and stuff, but it just, you were never very far from, you know, being able to, mm. yeah, it, it just, it, it's kind of a funny mindset thing. I'm not sure have, I would be able to. Have you done any ultra marathons? I've done uh, a 50 and I ran 60 earlier in the year just as a trail run, yeah. kind of a virtual trail run, but yeah. And what, what was your experience with that, particularly towards the end? Um, I loved it. I've been doing some heart rate things as well, a little different mm. from what you were talking about, but, but similar, mm. um, more specific to me based on, say, my 10K pace as well. So there's an extra element in that um, calculation. Mm. Um my current 10k pace so it wasn't a fast so yeah the 50 Mm. that was used a couple of years ago that was like a race race whereas Mm. the 60 for me was more um an experiment see how it would go using the heart rate method basically and keeping my heart rate even in that event keeping my heart rate down because I wasn't racing against anyone it was just a um Mm. um, a virtual event really yeah well that's going to help a lot with Pacing, towards, isn't it? Yeah, I loved it actually. I loved every yeah. minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I just really see myself as a, a novice runner because I've probably only been running for four or five years. Mm. Um, um, you know, m- most of what I've been doing, you know, just, just, just running. And I, I, two years ago, I did the Comrades race in South Africa. Wow. And so that's a 90 kilometer race. And the furthest I'd run was sort of, I'd got to about 53 Ks in training and I just was dead. I couldn't go any further. So um, when I did comrades, which is 90 kilometers and it's a mm-hmm. lot of, lot of hills, just hill after hill after hill. Up or down? Which I did the up run. I did the up run. So I sort of took off on the line and I was in, I was in the, the, the first group. So I was running along with these little um, black South African guys and, um, having a great time and then I got to about 50 k's and um, um, a very large elephant jumped on my back <laughs> not figuratively <laughs> speaking <laughs> metaphorically and I just went I had I didn't the that's it's probably a race that every runner's really got to do the, mm. the, the comrades and there's about 20,000 people who do it every year yeah. which is quite incredible considering it's a 90 kilometer race mm-hmm. and I was going up a long hill about 50 k's and I, I started to walk and I was walking pretty slowly I was just like I just my my motivation just just went Bomb. <laughs> and, and there was a, a little um, dark South African guy who's well, he's probably five foot two he and on your bib it, tell, it says how many how many comrades you've done and the people who have done over 10 get a green number. Uh-huh. And he had done 30. So he was probably he was probably wow. about the same age as me. 
and he grabbed me under the armpit, one arm on the armpit, and because you've got your name on your bib, and he says, Jason, if you walk this slowly, you are not going to finish. And it was sort of like, uh, wow. it, was, it was just sort of a moment of like, I've got to work out a way to finish this. How do I put so, these steps one in front of the other? And Last that's time. what it was. And your whole, your whole world just gets down to one foot in front of the other. And then you, you do that for quite a while. And it's, it's actually quite an invigorating feeling because in life, you don't really get to narrow your world down to such a small little thing. Mm. Um, you've usually got to worry about about you know what you're having for dinner that night and whether you're going to get your laundry done and yep. um, what's happening at work tomorrow and that sort of stuff. But it's that just that focus of, well, my next step, that's my next focus and the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. So um, you, your world sort of changes at that point. So mm. um, I, got, I got what sort of the attraction of ultramarathoning was about, but you more or less have to put yourself into a terrible situation in order, to, <laughs> in, order, in, order, in order to get that. But you kind of, I think for a lot of, particularly novice runners, you, you can get that after 50 Ks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I've been very lucky. I don't know if it's because of I'm a lazy runner or I'm not sure what it is, but um, I've, I've only done a three-hour 36 marathon, so I'm not super fast, but I'm okay. When Good I was like time. 40, I was a bit younger than I am now. I was like 43 or something, maybe 44. Um, and I would, I'm, I'd be around four hours now, I reckon. Um, but I've never, I've all, and people will always say when I cross the line within a couple of minutes, they're like, oh my gosh, you look like you haven't done anything. And I think it's because I'm maybe not trying as hard as I should. <laughs> so yeah. I have yeah. that. So the you know the idea of you said the elephant on the back and people talk about the the um you know the wall in a marathon for example yeah. I don't know where that is I've never seen that I certainly haven't seen the elephant um, I've only had one time last year because I race a lot in winter with a club here um, when I had really low iron and it wasn't until yeah. we got that tested I went oh now I know why I was having a hard time but yeah I just think yeah, I, I think, try harder I think hitting the wall in marathons and a, a bit of an outdated thing because I mean that's just lack of glycogen so now with with gels and energy drinks and having sufficient carbohydrates particularly leading up to it you yeah. shouldn't you shouldn't be um, um, lacking glycogen unless you unless your pacing's wrong yeah unless you've just gone out too too fast so the other thing about training slow is that you're you're adapting your body to burn fat yes yes so, being fat um, adapted I think is quite a good yeah, so us. I get up in the morning and I run fasted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it might be a one or two hour run in the morning and it's right. fasted so, yeah. um, and it's slow. So you, you, you're you getting those fat adaptions. So, um, um, so just a simple question. What do you do on those days when you just don't want to go? Because, you know, you said that you're pretty much going yeah. most days. What do yeah. you do? Like, you know, the weather's horrible. I don't know, whatever. You didn't have a good sleep. Yeah. What do you do? How, do you? how do you get yourself to go anyway? I sort of look at it and think, I look at the, the one-third rule. And yeah. a, few, a few people have said this. I don't know if you've heard this rule. It says one-third of the time you feel awful mm. training. Like, you, you know, the runners, you feel pretty awful. Yeah. One-third of the time you feel fairly good. Mm -hmm. 
and then one third of the time you feel great. So (laughs) you kind of take the swings and roundabouts. But if you really do feel awful, um, there's no point pushing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if if I if I do feel awful, uh, I can still sort of plot around and do a ten or fifteen kilometre run. Yeah. Um, If I look out the window and it's freezing cold and pouring with rain, I used to go out. But um, when I thought we were going to go into lockdown last year, um, I bought a treadmill. Oh. (laughs) Uh, My my partner's an esthetician, like cold mornings either. So uh, she she gets a lot of use out of it. So um, and even on a cold morning, if it's a cold morning, I guess you get a lot more cold mornings than than we do. But it is a bit Mm -hmm. cold in, in Western Sydney in the morning. Yeah. Um, I'll do a kilometre or two on the treadmill and just sort of warm up so that I'm not sort of going out of the warm house into the freezing cold morning. So, okay. um, but if you don't have a treadmill, I guess you can do some, do some, you know, jumping up and down or something like that. Do some like star that. jumps. <laughs> so it, it's good just to warm, warm the body up. Otherwise um, it's, it's not much fun, but a treadmill is good for that. If you can do a kilometre or two on the treadmill, it just gets things a little bit warmed up. So then when you, when you get out the door, um, you feel like you can start jogging straight away mm. rather than having to, you've done your walk, you've done your kilometre or two walking already on the treadmill. So I kind of get around it um, that way. But then again, I also look at, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big advocate for health. And this is something that, you know, Dr. Maffetoni says, if you're healthy, you'll be performing well and you'll be able to train well. If you're yeah. not healthy, yeah, um, you you you'll get sick, you'll get injured, and um, so that's it. Me, so I I take that as running is not the just running isn't going to make you healthy. Running is an element; it's the exercise component of your health. But yeah. uh, you know your nutrition and what's going on in your mind. Yeah. I guess what are, what other elements are there? So the food yeah, well, and what, I mean, what they, thinking. They talk about the pillars of health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've sort of been doing a fair bit of reading lately about the importance of sleep. Yeah. And sleep was always seen as being a pillar of health, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's wrong. I think sleep is actually the foundation. Yeah. So if you're not getting proper sleep, uh, you, you really can't do anything. I've, so, heard some st- I've listened to a podcast or two on sleep as well in the last couple of years. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's been been a lot of research about sleep and there's a few experts about sleep out there. Uh, and once you start to sort of find out about it, you start to take sleep a lot more seriously. Yeah. So, and again, it gets back to what's going on in the Western world with ego and pushing yourself and people mm-hmm. say, I only have four hours sleep a night and that sort of stuff. Now... The hacking world. <laughs> yeah, but nobody can... I mean, the sleep experts say that there's, there's just no one out there. Yeah. That there's... A, a, like a minuscule percentage of people who can get five or six, but you know you can't you can't you can't survive on four or five hours of sleep. Yeah, and you do see people that have that have had not much sleep for long periods of time, and uh, you know they do have problems with dementia and all that sort of stuff mm. as well. So Going can forward. have. No, I'm not. I'm not an expert, but it does. Mm. Um, I remember Margaret Thatcher. She, she used to say she get four hours sleep a night, and I don't know if she was bragging or whatever, but mm. she ended up with dementia. So, yeah. um, um, but it's it's a foundation of health, and then yeah. you can build the other pillars on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I like that. Uh, so you've really got to get your seven to nine hours a night. So mm -hmm. last night I was tired at eight o'clock. So I went to bed and I went to sleep. Yeah. And I, I woke up and I got very excited because I looked at the clock and I went and it said it was 5.45 and I thought, and I felt great. And then I realized that it wasn't, it was 11.45. So, uh, no. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I went to bed early, but um, I sort of had, I mean, the important, with, with sort of sleep habits, one habit that I got into when I had little kids was that, you know, the kids, the babies will wake up at 11.30 midnight. Mm -hmm. A lot of people complain I'm not getting enough sleep because they go to bed at 10, 30, 11. They get woken up after half an hour, an hour. Then they find it very hard to go back to sleep because they're mm -hmm. woken up from a deep sleep. So I just started going to bed at 8, 8.30 yeah. every night. And when the kids went? When the kids 30. went to bed. Mm -hmm. and, and I still now, I've, my kids go to bed at 8.30 every night. So mm -hmm. I go to bed at 8.30. Wow. So... But what it meant if you got woke up in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. uh, which, which invariably happened because they'd have a midnight feed, <laughs> um, you'd at least had three or four hours sleep. And yeah. then you might be awake for half an hour, an hour. Then you can have another three or four hours sleep. Yeah. And, you can, and then you can get up at, I used to get up at, um, you know, 5, 5.30 and go cycling um, at that point. But I'd had a good seven to eight hours sleep. Yeah, so that period. wasn't detrimental to you. Yeah, and people do sleep in that. Uh, you, you have those sleep cycles, and mm. they say you've got a two, three, or four hour sleep cycles a night. Mm -hmm. So don't get woken up in the middle of a sleep cycle because that really wrecks you. Yeah. But if you do get woken up towards the end of a sleep cycle, um, then 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 it's better. Mm. It's interesting, so, actually. Anyone who's interested in um, sleep, it's worth googling to see. You know the kind of studies as um, Jason was alluding to. There's been some really interesting studies on the importance of it with our health, including as you, you know, you can get quite in depth with it, with the different cycles. And there's like three or four different layers that we go through every night. And we need a certain amount of, of them for, to have that restful, restorative um, mm. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, you might've, I, I listened, often listen to the Rich Roll podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've listened to that. <laughs> and, and he had a sleep expert on there um, a little while ago. So probably, the, the, the time taken to read all the, to read the books and all that sort of stuff. So you're better off put on a two hour podcast, go for a run, go for a run. <laughs> or a walk or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of podcasts. You can, you can, if you, if you've got a good host, you can learn a lot um, the, within the, two hours or so like that. And a, a two hour period, a good, good, good length of time for a podcast. Because yeah. you, can go, you can go fairly deep and you can go for your long run. And you can have a two hour bit of exercise as well. So, <laughs> So yeah, I look at sleep as being the foundation because uh, I, you know, not going into all the science and so on. But if you haven't got that, it's um, you, you can get yourself into a into into a bad situation, and you and you really can't train. Mm. And there was, I mean, that's probably you know there was sort of a ten year period where I wasn't really doing any any sort of proper training, and a lot of that's because I was getting late nights yeah. because of work and early starts and that sort of stuff, and. I, I wasn't able to sort of do any races or that sort of stuff and um, perform at any sort of level because not 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 getting enough sleep and not um, and not not looking after myself in other ways as well. So um, one of the things that just made me think of is when I was a young mum and worked in an office. Mm. Um, 
it was hard to find the time. And like, you know, you just sort of ex explained a day which didn't seem to have much time to, to go out for your run in that period when you weren't doing much exercise. Um, for me, I was lucky, and I know this isn't what everyone has available to them. It was some of my more productive running time because when I got to the office, the kids were yeah. school or daycare, and yeah. I, every, four lunches a week, I didn't. I left one lunch time not, but four lunches a week, I would run for yeah. um, at least forty-five minutes. So, yeah, and I found, um, and then I ended up getting two or three office uh, workers who still thank me to this day for getting them into running <laughs> yeah. was, you know 20 years ago um, because we consistently would go out you know being running buddies um, at our lunch break yeah see people see you're putting your t-shirt and shorts on at lunch yeah. people might go I'm, gonna, I'm I'm thinking about doing this you know in Sydney doing the city to surf or I want to do the long distance yeah. 10 or something like yep. that mm -hmm. um, and you know can I come running with you Happy days. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, got, it was you've awesome. Got, you've, you've got you've got someone you've got someone to run with, and you've got a nice little group, and maybe work will sponsor you to do the city to surf, and you know, or, or, or whatever, and that sort of stuff. So um, they'll often get behind you as well. But I, when I was uh, busy, I I used exercise as part of my commute. So for yeah, you, you know, for years and years and years. I rode my bike to and from work yeah. um, and it was about 10 kilometers each way. But in the morning I would do some extra training and stuff. So it ended up being about 40 kilometers one way and then it was 10 kilometers home. Yeah. And then when I got more into running, I would um, do things like uh, walk the kids to school, mm -hmm. run from school to work yeah. and then run back um, um, they'd have after school care or whatever, mm -hmm. pick them up from after school care and then walk home for them. So yeah. the kids got used to walking to and from school, yeah. um, which was a really enjoyable part of the day. Mm -hmm. And I was rather than sitting in the car and it often used to take me in Sydney, take me less time to run 10 kilometres into work than it did mm -hmm. sitting in a car for that, um, for that 10 kilometres. So I was really combining um, commuting, always, always really combined commuting with, um, with work. And then I guess now working more remotely, I get a bit more time. So not starting work till 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, I've got that hour or two um, to, to, to take things a bit more easily and I can go out in the morning and, and doing that. But if you've got that commute, um, try to somehow work your commute in. You might have a 30 kilometre commute. So take the train a lot of the way. Uh, I'll take the, the first, time, the first time I ran to work in my 20s, it's 20 kilometres. It was 20 kilometres to work. And I mm. just remember being so proud of myself because yeah. I ran 20 kilometres to work. Everybody mm. else thought I was crazy. <laughs> and it's fun to stand on the train, stinking to high heaven and everyone giving you lots of space. <laughs> it's good in this COVID time. Sounds like COVID distancing. That's right. You get your, you get your social distancing <laughs> just by default. Um, and one thing some people do is they'll um, they'll they'll take the train into work with their running clothes. Mm -hmm. They'll run home. They'll put on their running clothes, run home, yeah. and then have a good night's sleep. Run in the next morning, mm -hmm. um, and then have have their shower, and they've mm -hmm. got their clothes from the time before, and then they'll commute home yeah. in the, in in the afternoon. So you can do um, lots of combinations, isn't there? 
so you can you, yeah you can really you can really uh, you can really make it work in terms of fitting it in with your um, with, with your commitments mm. Mm. Um, and and you know you can not feel as if you're under pressure you know getting up early in the morning to run and all that sort of stuff and getting home and having a shower yeah. and having breakfast and all that sort of stuff you can have your you can have your breakfast at, at work have some cereal at work in the in the kitchen at work um and um, um do it that way exactly so, i love that there's you, some great ideas yeah so if you run into if you i'm um, sorry if you commute into work then yeah you've got your clothes there and stuff and you can just run home mm. with just your phone or whatever and then come back into work with your with your phone and your keys and mm. it's it's pretty easy I remember, um, you know, big spending a lot of time trying to think about the logistics, <laughs> you know, mm. in different kinds of runs that we've done, whether it involves running to work or to a friend's mm. house or to a, an event or to a something or home from, you know, you're just trying to think of the logistics and, and ways to fit in um, a training run where maybe mm. you could easily say, uh, no, I can't do it today because I'm so busy or so, so many things to do. And yet, if you were to think about it, there's often a way. I guess to, to yeah. fit it in somehow. Hmm. But also looking at other other pillars of health, mm -hmm. um, I guess the other two are stress yeah. and and diet. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, stress is a big killer for performance and and being able to train and do do any sort of exercise uh, because if you're if you're stressed about things or whatever, that's mm. going to mean that. You know your hormones out of balance, and yep. um, you're, you're finding it pretty hard. So exercise will, you know, calm you down. Yes, um, and that sort of stuff in itself, as long as you're getting enough sleep, and um, so getting back to sleep as being the basis mm -hmm. for health. And um, you know, make it. And if you're concentrating on stress and saying, "Well, this is a stressful situation," or "These are stressful situations," and trying, we're all going to suffer some stress. But just trying to minimise the stress as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Work on your relationships, you know. Work on your work life, all those sort of things to try to sort of manage your stress and minimise your stress um, is really important. Mm. Um, and then diet—you've just got to kind of work out what what diet works for you as well, and be honest with yourself about whether whether what you're putting into your mouth is serving you. Um, I think. Um for me, irrelevant of any kind of nutritional choices that people make. And there's so many different, I hate the word diet, but so many different yeah. ways, you know, types of uh, way we can eat. Um, but I think good advice, and I'm sure you, you will agree, is to reduce the amount of processed food yeah. and yeah. sugar, really, but <laughs> certainly processed yeah. food. Um, yeah, well, processed sugar is part of the, part yeah. of the processing food. So, um, minimizing the amount of added salt and added sugar mm -hmm. uh, and having a, a whole foods diet yeah. as, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I don't sort of preach to people about diets, yeah. but you probably know from Vanessa that both I and do. I have a, have a plant-based diet. <laughs> I do. Um, but, but, you know, if you have... Uh, I mean, for instance, my dad, you know, he's 88, but he, mm -hmm. uh, he, he stopped eating red meat, but he still has um, some fish and stuff. But yeah. he has a very unprocessed diet, probably because, mm -hmm. you 
you know, that's the diet he's used to. That's his, that's his generation. Mm. Um, and people say as a model, they say, you know, eat what your grandparents ate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? Three veg. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and have the, I mean, I have, I probably have a diet that's probably close to 90% carbohydrates as well. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Because so, um, I see, I see carbohydrates as being the fuel for being yeah. able to be able yeah. to train. So I have, um, I have, uh, a, I mean, at the moment in my cupboard, I've got about a 10 kilogram bag of gluten-free, because Vanessa's gluten-free, um, yeah. not, not that I am, but gluten-free unpro- unprocessed oats. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I'll have that, I'll have that every morning. Mm-hmm. And we've got about a 20 kilogram bag of um, rice that we like. Yeah. So that'll probably be in most 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 dinners mm-hmm. um and particularly during covid we developed a good veggie patch so most of the most of the vegetables and a bit of fruit that we have just come straight from the garden that's amazing yeah they do oh, so, like um people going to the supermarket i remember hearing like years ago is the healthiest places are on the outside of all the aisles yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's often, yeah. you know where if you eat meat that's where that is and it's also where all the fruit and veggies and yeah. you know, all the whole foods tend to be on the outside <laughs> not on yeah, the, in the aisle. and all the supermarkets will put it right near the entrance they'll put the fruit and vegetables because there's something in our psychology when we see colorful fruit and vegetables uh yeah, that 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 sparks our spending <laughs> so uh but um um and also fairly lucky where i am as well near near parkley markets in sydney so i don't go to parkley markets but you know there's a fruit and veg shop near the markets and i guess they go there every morning and get the get, get the yes. pick of get the pick of everything so staying away from the supermarket and going to your your local fruit and veg places is, is good as well so yeah, um good. but it, it's all i mean things we've been talking about michelle it's all sort of habit you know mm. where where are you coming from um and habits evolve slowly mm-hmm. i don't think there's too many people that decide in 10 minutes to go i'm going to go to bed at 8 30 every night yeah i'm going to have <laughs> i'm going to have a whole foods diet i'm going to stop drinking alcohol mm-hmm. uh i'm going to Stop smoking. Uh, I'm going to do all that sort of stuff. But if you do it um, little by little, um, you 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 kind of get there. And you know, if your aim is to be you know the best version of yourself and be honest with yourself, then you'll change your habits gradually, and it'll be it'll be bit by bit. I guess it always starts with the intention, just like every run starts with the, you know one foot in yeah. front of the other. So it's that intention to change or to make some healthy, you know, decision in your life, whether it's to adopt an exercise or a healthier way of eating or going to sleep a little earlier, um, that kind of thing. So it, to me, yeah, it's that decision, but then putting some, as a result of that decision, putting some things in place so that you're not self-sabotaging, because I'm probably just as likely, so for the sleep one, I might go, yes, I'm going to go to bed at 8.30. I might think that at the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, I've forgotten that I was going to do that and maybe I'm sitting down watching a movie with my husband or um, I've got to answer a few emails or something and suddenly you look up and I'm like, oh, it's 9 o'clock. That's right, I was going to bed. At-. So maybe, you know, for me, I, mm. if I set an alarm on my phone that says, um, get ready to go to bed, which mm. I happen to do that for you. 
Um, I mean, for diet, of course, it's making sure the things that you've decided you don't want so much in your life, if it's processed food or whatever, yeah. don't have it in the cupboards, you know, yeah. just things like that. And if you decided you're going to go for a run um, pretty regularly uh, or, before, you know, the next morning, put your shoes out before you go to bed yeah. and you yeah. go close. So it's just little tiny things. As you said, it's habit stuff. Um, but well, The hardest part about going for a run mm-hmm. is putting your socks on. Yeah. Once you've got your socks on, you're fine. It's a long way down there. <laughs> then, then, you'll, then, you'll, then, you'll, then, then you'll get going. But also don't be, don't be hard on yourself. You know, yeah. you're the product of what you do most of the time. Mm-hmm. You're not the product of what you do all of the time. Mm-hmm. So if it's 7.30 at night and you haven't spent much time with your husband yeah. <laughs> and you go, well, let's watch a movie and we'll have a cuddle on the couch, and we'll have a hot <laughs> chocolate, then do it because it's going to be, it's going to be good for your relationship. It's That's going to be true. good for your mental health. And if you get to bed at 10 o'clock and you wake up at 6 or whatever, well, that's not the end of the world, is it? It's not. I just yawn a bit more that day. <laughs> yeah. So, but, and, and then if you want a couple of pieces of chocolate after dinner, and that's, that's something you're looking forward to during the day and you feel like that once you've eaten your dinner, well, do it, you know? And, um, but I, and, and then, and, you know, it's a habit, you know, then you might, yeah. you might cut out chocolate, having chocolate every night and you might just have mm-hmm. it two or three nights a week. You might not watch a movie every night. You might do it twice a week, mm-hmm. um, that sort we of stuff. Once a week and we have chocolate. Twice a yeah. week, maybe. Yeah. So, that, so that's that's good. That's again, mm. you're a product of what you do um, um, most of the time, not what you do all of the time. Mm. That's true. So don't mm. don't don't feel like you've got to be the absolute zenith, of, the epitome of, of, of good behaviour. Because I always probably wouldn't be very human. It's certainly yeah. not very relatable to yeah. And as you get older, I guess you can't get away with as much as well. Yeah, that's um, true. I mean, you know, early 20s, I was doing some appalling things in terms of <laughs> lifestyle. But you get away, you know, I, you know, you could stay up drinking all one night and do a seven-hour yeah. bike race the next day. And it's sort of yeah. like... Um, now I'd be dead if I did that I've got there's a um I had a really good story for that just (laughs) young people and what they can get away with a friend of mine and I were uh, running in a race it's called the triple top here it's like almost a half marathon but it goes up three mountains as the name might um and it's a trail run but it's quite challenging and it's not all running because some of it it's almost climbing and you know it's 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 quite challenging um, event. Anyway, we're lined up there. Actually, no, we're in the bus on the way up to the start line, talking to the people next to us and just a couple of um, young blokes. So we were probably in our early 40s at the, the time and they maybe were 20. Anyway, they'd just come over from Melbourne. They'd yeah. just on their football um, end of year, end of season trip and they'd been at the casino here in Launceston drinking all night and then they'd got up in the morning and seen something about this event and yeah. they thought it would be great because at, at those days you could just sign up on the day 
And there they were hung over doing this <laughs> extreme event that we'd been training for for you know, yeah. months. And we just said, oh my gosh, crazy. Anyway, they finished way ahead of us because they were just young and fit and yeah. whatever. Uh, and I assume they kind of burnt the hang off over. Hangover. Off. Yeah, yeah. You probably you could probably <laughs> see the fumes coming off their head <laughs> as they were as they were running up the as they were running up the hills. But totally. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I still can't. Yeah. It's still yeah. Stuck but with me. Like, by the same token, uh, you can still be performing very well into your, you know, well past fifty or sixty. Well, actually, a lady that I spoke to a couple of weeks ago. She's in her seventies and she mm. still does really, she still is running very, very well, even after hip operations. So yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy in my athletics club who's 74, 75 yeah. and he's got, he's got world records for running, you know, going back years and years in his age group. Uh, and so yeah, so not getting caught up about, I mean, we've been discussing age a bit now, but not getting too caught up about how, how old you are and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm probably, I don't know how fast I could have run when I was in my, my early 20s, but, um, you know, I've, I've set a few state records lately for my, for my age group um, in long distance events and so on. But that might be more of a product of a more settled <laughs> and uh, a, a lifestyle than, than, um, than, than I had before, but you don't feel too, don't feel like you're going to be bound by um, what you can do at, at your age. I mean, there's, there's 50, 60 year olds running two hour 30 marathons. They're crazy. Uh, so, um, amazing. you know, it, it is possible to do. There was one story that I, I, I heard it's a few, there's a few few different diff, few different stories like like this where the guy who is American guy who won who got third in the ten thousand meters at the nineteen sixty four or sixty eight Olympics mm -hmm. and he was a Native American as Navajo and he went back to sort of reservation after the thing and he was showing the the older men in the tribe his singlet and they said. Well, why why would you run in a singlet? You know, we all just run without shirts. And because oh, well, they gave this, and I had to run with this shirt. And they're saying, and how did you go? Oh, I finished third in the world. And they said, well, you're by far not the best runner in this tribe. He said, we're all better runners than you. And they said, and they, and this is a guy who just finished third in the Olympics. And so they went off for a run, and all these guys in their fifties and sixties all beat him. Wow. That's and amazing. you go to these sort of indigenous tribes that have got to, you know, do a lot of running and mm -hmm. the guys that are in their 50s and 60s, they're the best runners in the tribe. Yeah, because they've got the experience um, and they've been, they've, and the foundation, I suppose, of yeah, years and years and years and years. They've, they've, built, they've built their engine and they've done those long, slow runs and they've just, yeah. they've got up every day and they've, and they've done it. But human beings are, human beings are, are made to run. Uh, mm, I believe that also. The guy who he he, I think he finished second in the 1932 Olympics in the 10,000 meters. Another um, um, Native American. Uh, he he was sort of being interviewed 
about running as a child. And he said, oh, we used to run out and see the trains on the coast when we were sort of nine or 10 years old. And they said, well, hang on, that's, that's um, over a hundred kilometre run in a day. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, we, we, we used to do that with my friends so we could go and have a look at the trains because trains were, you know, they'd never seen a train before. And so you've got nine or 10 year old boys who can run hundred kilometers in a day without even, without even thinking about it. Wow. That's amazing. And looking at those in looking at those um, indigenous groups, I mean, they see running as a spiritual experience. Mm. So, you know, the Navajo Indian, they, they say when I'm running, uh, I'm, putting my feet on mother earth and I'm Mm. breathing in father sky Mm. and my effort is a prayer to my ancestors. Wow. But that's, I mean, that's something to think about. If you know, if you're running along the trails and you think I'm breathing in the air from the sky and I'm Mm -hmm. treading on mother earth Mm -hmm. and I'm doing something that my ancestors did and um, and I guess in, the, in that sort of culture, you know, your ancestors are part of the, of the landscape. They're very connected. Mm-hmm. So they're, connect, they're connected mm-hmm. in that way. So might might be hard for us to make that leap, but running is, a, running is part of your spiritual life. Mm. And it's, awesome. it's, a, it's a natural thing to do. And I guess the reason why I've probably done a lot of running in the last four or five years is because it's a simple thing to do. You know, if you if you do cycling, particularly in winter, yeah. it takes twenty to thirty minutes to get all your gear on and pump up your tires, and then you get a flat and you've got to fix fix that, and mm-hmm. someone in a car throws something at you or shouts at you and kind of ruins your day. And yeah. but if you can running simple, you you lace on a pair of shoes, you put your hand in a drawer and get a pair of shorts, and put your hand in another drawer and get a t shirt, and you and you're out the door. You're off. So yeah. do you think, um, a question I ask most people is, how long do you think you'll run for? So you're 51 now. How long do you think you'll run for? Um, well, that's something I thought about earlier in the week because I was listening to a podcast and, um, about Ethiopian runners. And yes. um, Bikili, who won the, the 1960 Olympics and the 1964 Olympics in the marathon, when he won in 1960, it was a big event for Ethiopia because he won in Rome and Italy, they'd, they'd pretty much been at war since, with Italy since 1900 or so because um, Italy was a colonial power. Mm-hmm. So when he won the marathon, it wasn't in the stadium, but he, he, he ran along a cobbled street in Rome lined with 100 Italian soldiers on either side as a guard of honour for his victory. And he won and they said, um, um, how does it feel to win? And he said, well, I am not, I am not, the, I'm not the champion of Ethiopia. There's, there's a much better runner than, than me. And I can't remember his name, but the, the, the guy who, he, he was injured shortly before the marathon mm-hmm. and stuff. Anyway, he is 92 and he is still running and he runs the national cross country every year. And he's pretty much blind and he just, he runs with his son in front of him and follows um, his footsteps. So 
Wow. Well, if he's running at 92. <laughs> What's your excuse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and uh, I mean, there's a group in Sydney, I'm, I'm friends with quite a few of them. And most, if there's not an organised marathon on that Saturday, they just go out and run a marathon that day. And I don't think any of them are under about 55. Amazing. And um, they don't train that much during the week, but they go and run a marathon every Saturday. Mm. So that's a group that can get up any morning of the week and you say to them, go and run a marathon and they'll go and run a marathon. So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's something you can do just out of habit, but it's mm -hmm. just a case of assisting with it and being consistent and doing it at a pace which suits you. Mm -hmm. So uh, I take it that you're thinking there's no end to your running until you choose it in some way? Like, Yeah. It, you're not, it, you're not expecting. It chooses, it chooses you. Um, oh, and if you um, but I, you know, you talk about ageing, but I feel I feel a lot better now than I did in my 20s. Mm. I've, you know, that might be a very subjective thing, but I wake up every morning and I, I feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I look after my health a lot better. So mm -hmm. that, that's a big thing. But, you know, when I'm running along and my technique is good and I'm, not, I'm nice and bouncy, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you feel like you're 10 years old. Yeah. And, and I get that feeling I got, you know, when I was 16 and running up four flights of stairs and not breathing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it, it gives you, I don't know if immortality is the right word, but it gives yeah. you that sense of I'm on top of things and um, I'm not suffering any sort of ill effects that are my, my own doing. That sort of empowering kind of feeling for your life. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it and it's it's good to race against twenty year olds and beat them, you know. Um, Especially if you're a competitive type. Well, that's the thing. But it's but I guess I guess having I mean I've been training for twenty six weeks to go to the Gold Coast Marathon, and I'm yes. not going to be going. So there's the end of that story, sort of. So, so so you go well, and I thought I would be really disappointed. Mm or exasperated or whatever but i'm not really because i've enjoyed the process and running the marathon is the end of the process and there was a goal and there was a time goal and um i'd, I'd thought through you know everything about the race and nutrition and all that sort of stuff but and i didn't get to execute it but i got to get up every morning and go for a run and that's a that's a gift that not everybody else has so we were talking about that a little before we came on, um, and, and that is that some people train for the race and, and their main part of it is, you know, the gift that, that it gives them is the race, like the race is the whole thing, whereas other people train, and even though the race is what they're training for, the bit that they enjoy the most is the journey to the race. So the, a lot of the training yeah. and things like that. So I guess it's just two different, there's no right and wrong. It's just two different ways that people approach, um, you know, yeah. events. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fleeting. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, you, you get 
you know, a good feeling for half a day thinking I executed what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's your own goals and you've, you've trained towards those goals and you've focused on those goals um, and that's good to do it. But having not achieved that goal is not that important really. Yeah. It's more of being able to go through that process and absorb yourself in that activity in order to, in order to get there. And a, a, a wonderful thing about running is that it gives everybody um, a goal to aim for. So they might say, I want to run a four hour marathon. I want to run a three hour marathon. I want to run a five hour marathon or whatever. But I see a lot of people who do marathons and Ironman and stuff, and then they never do anything afterwards. Mm. They go, I've achieved that goal, and now it's time to, to move on. Tick. <sighs> yeah, so I've ticked that off, and now I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. Mm. And that, that's a great mistake. But running is a very objective exercise because mm-hmm. if you've got if, – if you're going for a realistic goal, you can achieve it. Whereas in other sports, you know, it, it might not happen. If you're in a team, other people in the team might not, not – doing what you want them to do um, so you can't achieve it cycling was always I was difficult bit of difficulty with cycling because um, it's tactical and mm. it can be a bit negative because you're racing against other people and there is a lot of in a bike race there's a lot of duplicity <laughs> and yeah. um, and um, and um, uh, uh, you know, you will be rewarded for um, cheating and lying, basically. So if you mm-hmm. say to people, I'm not feeling good, I'm going to sit on the back and you're feeling fantastic and you sprint, out sprint them at the end, well, they probably won't trust mm-hmm. you next time, but, you know, you won the race. So but whatever. <laughs> that, that's it. But, but running's objective. Uh, it's, it's, there's some tactical in it, but it's you, you, mm-hmm. you run, you know, 12 laps around a track and you get your time and yep. that's, and that and that's how you did. So. Yeah. And there's and in the effects of well, probably there might be other things going on at elite elite levels, but just mm. at um, you know my, at least my level, uh, there's not a lot of tactic and drafting and things like that, which you can mm. perhaps get out of cycling. Um, mm. Yeah, there just just doesn't. It's not a thing so much. <laughs> I assume it is no, actually. You, what, know, you see people on the track in Olympics and stuff, but you know, yeah, where they're a bit more tactical. On the track. Yeah, if if yes, if you if you're in a group and so on, it'll mm. it it'll give a pretty good advantage. But you know, it it, it might happen or it might not happen, yeah. um, and things will happen in a race that you don't have control of, whether there's, the pack goes out too quickly or too slow or that sort of That's thing. True. So, um, but yeah, so it's it, it's a case of just ongoing process. I mean, races are good in order to. Um, have a goal and have mm-hmm. a bit of have something to think about while you're training and um, and be part of an event and enjoy it with other people um, and all that sort of thing but 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 treat it as treat it as as, as it is not this is a this is this is a big this, this is a major goal and if I don't achieve it I'm going to be terribly disappointed or if I do achieve it then I'm not going to worry about things after that mm. Yeah, so it's things that are out of your control as well. I mean, the COVID stuff is extreme, but even on race day, especially for a marathon and those longer races, there are things that are not in your control. 
as the race unfolds you know like whether other competitors um mm. even even your own um body can let you down like you can get stomach aches yeah. and all that other kind of stuff that you weren't expecting for some reason mm. um, but that's good to make it's good to um have something go wrong because that's that's a learning experience <laughs> so it's 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 either a mistake or it's something that happened yeah. and you should be grateful for that because it means that you can do something about it next time and you can think about it and talk to other people about it and then you can experiment with things and that sort of stuff mm. um i mean the first marathon that i did i i went through halfway and i think one hour 21 minutes so uh, um and then the then then the, the the second half of it was um one hour 31 minutes so it was um and then but then the next the next marathon I, the, the ne but, but it was it wasn't you know, the idea is to try to negative yes, split. And then the, next, the next marathon I did was, um, I think, 125 at halfway, and that was 123 for the second half. So um, so I learned that about pacing. But that's an ego thing. It's like, yeah, I'll go out and I'll, 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 I'll just, you know, push my way through it. But mm. the, the distance means that you, you can't keep that pace. But it means that next time I, next time I was a lot more mindful about my pacing and, and that sort of stuff. So, Not wanting to rub salt into an injury, but when I did the Gold Coast Marathon many years ago, I can mm. remember us walking back to the accommodation. I'd already been sitting around. I think it might have done a four-hour marathon then, like my second marathon or something. And my husband and I were looking around and it had already been like six hours since the start of the race or something. And there was still heaps of people coming in. Mm. And we both looked at them and thought, you know, I think it's a harder day out for those people mm who it's taking, you know, five, six, seven hours to do it yeah. um, than those, you know, people who finish earlier. Um, yeah. I mean, the people that run just over two hours, they look at people doing it four hours and go, what? I can't imagine, you know, being out on the course for four hours. I wouldn't even go for four-hour training runs. What? How, how can you keep going for four hours? So, exactly. And that's, and that's another um, good thing about running is that, you're running on the same course mm -hmm. on the same day as everybody else. So you can identify with all those people. So if, if I finish and then half an hour later you finish, Michelle, I really want to hear about your day and what you, how you found the course and what you went through. And um, I'm a lot more interested in that than I am about myself or, um, um, you know, my, my experience. But with other sports, you're not, you don't get that, you don't get that same quality because you're, you know, you're playing for Collingwood Football Club and you're, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, 17 other people on your team and there's a people on the other team. You know, you know what you're going through, but no one else, no, you can identify with other people. Mm. So you're on the same course with those people. And it's, it's amazing how the people at the top are, um, you know, how, how willing they are to talk to everybody else who did the race and they're just um, open mouth with um, um, what their experience was and they're, they're really fascinated by it. I, I used to fascinate me when I first started running competitively in my 20s and that was that everybody who crossed the line, as you said, having done the exact same thing, same day, mm or whatever, everybody had a different story or a different mm. journey across the line, like their experience of that event was mm. different. So I found that fascinating, like you said, to talk to people and, and 
and talk about my experience and listen to their experiences. I found that really interesting. It's a bit like this podcast, really, like we're all yeah. have this interest in running, but it all comes at it from different angles and our journey there is all different as well. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not going to ride the Tour de France, but I can do the Gold Coast Marathon. I can do the Boston Marathon. I can do the Comrades, Comrades Marathon, um, all, all those things. So I can, I can, fulfill that fancy yeah like be on that same track with those same elite athletes or whatever as well Mm. um that same course yeah that's really really cool actually so i've already kept you much longer than i've kept anyone else so i do apologize but you've been very interesting to talk to (laughs) i really loved um hearing your stories have been and your beliefs and philosophies around running are fascinating is there anything you think we haven't talked about that we should have shared especially for those, you know, new runners um, who might be listening to the podcast? I think, I think one thing that's important for new runners is developing technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and technique's something that we all have when we're sort of three or four years old. Yeah. We've, all got the, we've all got the correct technique. Mm-hmm. And then because of lifestyle factors, um, sitting too much, having said that, we've just been sitting for two hours or something. Um, sitting too much and um, not not using our bodies as the as the way they're ex- uh, intended. Um, most people have a pretty poor technique, mm. so um, good to do some research about proper technique. I've been reading a fair bit about lately about the the fascia in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of the the the, the 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 sort of elastic system where everything floats in. Because I always I don't know much about anatomy, but I always thought you've got your bones, you've got your muscles, you've got your tendons, tendons that attach the muscles, and it all sort of works somehow. But what's actually helping you run is your fascia, because um, that's the sort of elastic system, and your fascia renews itself every seven months. Oh wow! So you can you can if if all we could see was our fascia mm-hmm. so if i looked at you and all i could see was your fascia and then i saw you seven months later i wouldn't recognize you wow um because it completely changes although if you keep doing the same thing the fascia is going to yeah. look pretty much the same yeah but if you if you change that so if you're more conscious about standing tall and upright and you and you see the you see the runners that run you know you say oh they they run beautifully Mm. it's fluid sort of motion and 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 they don't seem to be don't seem to be i mean they're running so quickly but Mm -hmm. they don't seem to be using any real effort because they've just tapped into that elasticity Mm. so most runners when they run are not actually running they're kind of doing a fast walk (laughs) that's interesting (laughs) so and they're using their muscles too much okay um so um, you want to just use, just tap into that elasticity in your system. Mm. So um, you want, you know, in terms of training that, you want to be able to sort of bound. So mm. you get little kids to sort of, you know, just bound and they'll, um, they'll, they'll, they'll just do these long jumps one after another. But we can't really do that. But you can do it if you, if you do train it. Yeah, if you think about it. So um, 
don't just think about just going out the door every day and doing your run. Think about your technique. I often um, think, um, which I think helps a little bit, um, is light. Like I, I think yeah. about hitting the ground lightly. Because yeah. we all notice as we get tired, it, we start thumping the ground. Yeah. Um, and there are some people that I run with who, that I can hear them coming because they're so yeah. heavy on the ground. Yeah. Um, but I do notice if I think light, it, I guess it makes my posture yeah. you know, up straight and I'm not hitting the ground as much. Perhaps I'm you know, more on my the middle and the forefront of my foot a little bit as well. So I'm not... Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like all these good. things kind of happen because of that thought just going through yeah. my mind um, to try and run a bit lighter. Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's some things that I focus on when I'm running. One is standing tall. And you look at those East African runners and you say to people, how tall do you think that guy is? You know, they watch them running along. Yeah. Oh, he'd be six foot tall. He's five foot three, mm. you know, but he's standing, he's, when he's running, he's standing, he's standing tall. And even when they're just standing around, they're standing tall. It's as if, it's as if a rope is, is attached to the top of their head and, and pulling them. Mm. And you know, I can see you even as, as I'm talking to you. You start. I am. I can't help it. <laughs> you're, starting, you're starting to sort of sort of look tall, and I'm very um, easily influenced, Jason. <laughs> yes. And and having your having your you know your shoulders relaxed, yeah. and not but not having your arms too lazy, so that um your 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 legs are following your arms. Mm. But but all you're doing with 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 running is is you know 190 um, steps per minute, okay. um, and your and your legs are cycling underneath under you know the, you, you you your feet are landing under your hips, mm-hmm. so you're landing on the, the the middle of your feet your mm-hmm. feet not your not not your not heel. heel yeah so that that's when you see a runner running well that's all they're doing their legs are they're just taking um, a series of jumps mm-hmm. just a jump every you know, third of a second or something like that, and they're cycling their legs underneath them. Mm. So their their feet are coming up behind them and then cycling for cycling forward, hitting the hitting the ground. So um, you know, even even if you do nothing else when you when you take up running, um, perhaps getting a coach to work with you on technique yeah. um, is worthwhile or talk to an experienced runner who sort of understands technique mm-hmm. and can go through um, you know, a series of drills with you and can analyze your technique. Um, it's, it's, it's time well spent. Mm. Yeah, um, no, that's, I love that. Um, I think that's very useful because it might also, those people who take us up on going to do that um, yeah. are less likely to get injured. Because I think, as you said earlier, especially blokes, but I'm sure there are women too who just go gangbusters. Like they yeah. start any kind of physical endeavor and, you know, maybe they're 40 something, but they think they're still, you know, 18. Um, And so they go flat out and then they get injured um, because, you know, their form's not great and um, other reasons and end up getting injured. So if they took that tip and went and um, corrected that from the start or at least got some advice based on the way that they they run now, um, then that would, could help long-term. Yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, we're sort of taught you can do anything you want to do as long as you work hard at it. Yeah. But that may apply to other things in life, but it doesn't apply to running mm-hmm. because it shouldn't be hard work. 
it should always it should always feel easy mm-hmm. and if it is feeling hard you're doing something wrong because as you said earlier we should all all people can run unless there's some medical mm-hmm. anomaly but generally we you know we're built to run and so it should be a fluid motion yeah so if you think about standing tall having your having your chest out having your eyes looking in front of you um, you know, if you're running behind someone, you're looking at the, you know, the back of their head or the nape of their neck mm-hmm. um, and um, um, keeping, you know, keeping your head still, mm-hmm. keeping and just having your legs cycle underneath you. And it does, it does take, um, it does take quite a while to develop good running technique, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're taking up running later in life, but um, it, it should feel, it should feel easy um and it should feel like you're tapping into that elastic system and and think of your think of your body like a like a bow like you know as in a bow and arrow that it's that it's like it's shaped like a bow Mm -hmm. and it's just pressing it's hitting the ground and it's Mm -hmm. and it's and it's releasing the energy i mean your your foot's got an arch on it Mm -hmm. and um an arch is you know the strongest structure for mm. for its weight. Think of an arch of a bridge. Good point. Why do they build? Why do they build build it in the shape of an arch? I mean, engineers just didn't you know make that up. They're, yeah. they're not they're not creative people. <laughs> they look at they look at they look at physics and so on. And so the arch of your foot is compressing, and then springing back. And your Achilles is is absorbing the energy and and releasing it. Mm. Um, which is hard when you get older, when your Achilles becomes like a big German sausage. But yeah. um, um, but you look at kids, their 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 um, Achilles is the heart of the rock. Yeah, they're really. That's interesting. Excellent. Well, I do I, I do need to uh, let you go, but I wanted to say a massive thank you, Jason, because as I said, we've um, we've covered a lot of ground today, and I think a lot of what you said has been really helpful and will be quite inspirational to those people thinking about starting running. So I do appreciate your time and sharing all your wisdom with us. Yep. So thank yep. you for well, being here. Well, people out there, just don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> don't, don't, don't um, um, work, work away, work away in increments. And, you know, you're the product of what you do most of the time, not what you do all of the time. Very good advice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, we all sign off now. Just stay on and I'll have a, a chat with you. Uh, otherwise, again, thank Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. For a bunch of resources to help you get and stay fit, head over to the website, fitmindfitbody.co. And I'll see you there. I'll also be back here once a week. Bye.